TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Thanks for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. I'm really excited for this week's episode. Now, you've probably heard of Jimmy Griffin, El Monstero, Joe Dirt, The Incurables. The list goes on. To watch Jimmy perform on stage is to watch a rock star do his thing. On top of that, he's a really nice guy and someone I'm glad to call a friend. Jimmy was kind enough to sit down with me and talk about his early years, his journey into becoming a professional musician, and what he's up to now. Let's get into it. Uh, my name is Jimmy Griffin. I'm a musician here in St. Louis. I uh, play in bands like El Monstero, Celebration Day, The Hard Promises, uh, and The Incurables. So. So tell me about the first music memory you have. Oh, man. It was probably my grandparents playing the organ. Um, and both were – my grandmother read music. My grandfather did not. Uh, but they had the big Lowry, you know, console organ. And and um, and I remember my grandmother turning pages and reading and, and looking at all the black dots and lines and, and thinking, like, how do you how do you do that? Um, and then seeing my grandfather just completely play by ear. And, and, uh, so I guess that would be the first, and they sang, you know, there's, um, one of the worst things I've ever done in my entire life was erase a tape, a cassette tape of my family singing in the fifties. And I think I taped over it with like a kiss record or something. When I found out you could put tape over the little holes and then re-record over things and, yeah, and there was like, and they would, you know, that was back then in the in the fifties. Everybody stood around the organ or the piano and sang songs on a you know Friday or Saturday night, and that was entertainment then. And and uh, I completely ruined that. <laughs> 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 terrible, terrible. There are others, but that's one of the ones. I, if I have a regret in life, that would that would be one of them right there. What about your first memory when it comes to the guitar? Um, we went to, uh, my family went to probably like a ground round or like some sort of, you know, where we got dressed up to go out to dinner. And there was, I think I still have this somewhere. I have an eight by 10 of this band. They were called the CGB trio or something. And it was three guys wearing matching jackets and there was a guitar player, bass player and a drummer, you know, just a, a trio rock band. And they were playing in the lounge of this, and I'd never seen a band before, and uh, and they were playing in the lounge of this restaurant, and I just freaked out. I like I left the table, you know, like I'm gonna go watch the band, and I was like seven or eight years old, and my folks are like, you know, and now seeing it now and knowing guys, and I've done that job, you know, now where you're just like, whatever, and and then here's some little kid just like 
looking at you like you're Ace Freely, you know, in the in the uh, in the lounge of the ground round in 1977 or whatever that would have been. Um, that was that was my first like seeing a live band, and I f- immediately fell for it. So. so when did you start playing guitar? How old were you? And w- after that, when do you feel like you started getting good? I started playing when I was 12 uh, because I began to get uh, my friends that were proficient in sports all of a sudden started to get better. And my uh, progression had ended at how good I was going to be as a uh, as an athlete. Um, so, yeah, it was right around sixth grade. Um, and I started to get kind of good at it pretty quickly because it was, that was my sole focus and has been since I was 12, um, was I, I didn't come out of my room for a couple of years. Like my mom would go, Jim, please go outside. It's a beautiful day. Please just go outside. And, and she was also probably sick of hearing me play the same eight or nine songs over and over again. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it was something that I I knew was going to be a part of my life and something that was very important to me and that I wanted to get better. I wanted to to be the best at it that I could be. So it, it came pretty quickly. I wasn't I wouldn't call myself naturally gifted or anything like that. I know people that are. Um, I had to work a lot harder at it, uh, but it paid off. And because I worked hard, it it came as well as I was going to get it, you know. <laughs> Did you know, like, pretty much right away that you wanted to pursue it professionally? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one thing my father uh, was always, uh, when we would talk, he'd be like, I, you knew you wanted to do this when you were a kid. And and I, that was it. Um, it was the way I planned kind of the trajectory of my life was around these types of things and bands that I was playing in and what this band was capable of and what the next band that I was going to do was going to be, you know, it was all kind of a roadmap and it was all conscious. Uh, There were things that happened that changed that in some ways, but the goal was always to get to the next place. I never was... Uh, got complacent, like, hey, man, you know, we're we're playing a couple nights a week and this might not be the best band, but I'm just going to stick it out here. It was always like, well, I have to get to the next band that's going to be better than this band, that's going to do more stuff, that's going to get, like, that was, it was, the career aspect of it was always a part of it for me. Um, as much as I loved it, I knew that I didn't, I knew where I wanted to get. So can you tell me a little bit about that roadmap and take as much or as little time as you want, just like I started here and then I ended up where I am now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it started with my friend Lee Corscadden, who was the kid that turned me on to Kiss, and he had a snare drum and a hi-hat, and I had a guitar amp, and we had another amp that we ran the vocal into. We played at the Mall Gong Show, which was my first gig when I was probably 13 or 14 years old. Um, and we were, took third place and we had matching shirts and, you know, (laughs) we were called horizon line. Uh, and that's where it started. And, and then I had a couple of high school bands after that, that would play, uh, dances and float building parties and all that kind of stuff that just anything you can do to get in front of people. And, uh, we, I moved to Rochester for a brief period, uh, my sophomore year in high school 
left Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, moved to Rochester, uh, and then moved from Rochester to St. Louis when I was 16. And that's when I started to be from here was my junior year. Um, Met some guys, put a band together. Uh, They were all going to college. Um, I had guitar lessons at this guy named Duke Mishlack, and Duke was kind of the Yoda of South County. He taught me, taught Rich Fortas, Jerry Jost, uh, Michael McLaughlin, like tons of uh, half of the guys that are my age. Duke was the with their guitar instructor, and uh, and I had there was a guy in front of me that had the lesson before me that I knew played in a bar band, and I was still in high school. And so every time after his lesson was over, I would immediately plug in the guitar while he was putting his guitar away and play like every hot lick that I had. And so this just so happens this guy was leaving his band and moving to California to go to guitar school. And they tell tells the guys in his band, I'm leaving. Well, what are we supposed to do? And he's like, you should check out this kid that has lessons after me at Duke's. And they came out to the Animal House, which was a long defunct teen club back in the, you couldn't, you had to be under 21 to get in. But it was a giant movie theater and all the bands played there. Like if you could play at Animal House, man, you were cool. And, uh, and so they came out and I had to get them in the club because they were too old. They were 22 or 23 years old. And I wound up joining that band in high school. Uh, the last six months of my senior year, I was out until one or two o'clock in the morning, five nights a week, and wow. managed to graduate. Thank God. And again, my parents were huge parts of this because they allowed this to happen. They knew that even if this, as Bush League as this was, it was a big thing for me to step up into this next, to play with grownups, you know. And I uh, went from that, I was in that band for about a year and a half. And then I jumped up another rung uh, with this guy uh, named Little John Polizzi. And Little John was kind of the generation before me. So he was an older guy coming back, grabbing a kid, you know, like this guy looks, you know, this guy's 15 years younger than I am. And and younger people dig this guy. And I'm still going to play the songs that I always played kind of thing was that was the thinking. And uh, John Gore, who I play with in. Uh, in uh, Hard Promises and who does the uh, Billy the Kid thing and the Elton John. John and I were in this band. I was 19. John was, I think, 21. Um, And was that band for about a year. And then Broken Toys happened. And uh, Broken Toys turned into King of the Hill. uh, And that band went from playing the same bars that all these other bands were playing uh, that I had been playing in to writing our own songs to playing in different types of rooms to getting a record deal to being on MTV to touring like that band uh, accomplished everything that was the that was the where everything kind of came to fruition Mm -hmm. was that band. So I am curious, when you were out until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning in high school, how much trouble were you getting into? Not much. Really? Because uh, I, I, c- I could not drink because they knew how – everybody knew how old I was. So it was like this – this, and I was 17. I was a kid. Um, so it wasn't uh, – and I knew that if I messed up, I wouldn't be able to play there, which then would – I wanted to play more than I wanted to party um, at that point. 
there were other things that were sneaking in, like uh, girls became more readily accessible than they had ever been at that point. So that was, I guess, if I had a weakness. Uh, and these were, I mean, when I, when you're 17 and some person is 23 and has their own car and their own apartment, you're like, dude, you're like rich or something, you know. <laughs> Um, and my friends were still, you know, stealing a six pack from their dad and cruising McDonald's. And I was like, man, I got I got better stuff to do on a Saturday night this week. You know, <laughs> tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Thanks for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Now on to part two of our interview with Jimmy Griffin. What's the worst part about playing professionally? Um, I would think it was when it becomes a job. Um... When it when it's not fun, I I think, uh, and I've tried to maintain. I don't play as much as I used to, because there were aspects of that that were creeping in. Where I was like, all right, here we go, you know. And you just turn it on for that three hours, and 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 I it, I would rather have a job than than have to play music when I'm not having fun. Um, and I think, and there, there's still stuff that, you know, as a, as anything that you do for work. And I mean, I'm sure when you got into this, you were like, I'm going to be on the radio. This is going to be great. And then you, you know, you see how the sausage is made and it's, you know, and then there's parts of it that are still great, but there's the things that you, that become work, you know? Uh, so I try to keep work as far away from the creative part and the enjoyment part uh, and that's why I do play less and why I just do things that I care about now um, I did the I don't want to sound condescending to people that play all the time because I was I did that for years I played in you know bands I played a bunch of songs you know five nights a week whatever let's just go do this um, and then it got to a point where I just didn't, it, I would rather 
do something like the Hard Promises where I'm just playing Tom Petty music that I love or the Street Fighting Band where I'm just playing Rolling Stones music or uh, or my own music, you know, than, than being stuck somewhere. Because the other thing that happens when you work that much is you don't have time to do anything other than work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would rather sit in my little studio and work on a song that I'm writing on than be stuck making, you know, 150 or 200 bucks playing cover songs in a restaurant where no one's listening to me anyway. Speaking of cover songs, can you talk a little bit about the difference between playing music that you've written and then playing music of of artists that you really respect? Uh, Well, it's just that there's nothing like playing your own song. There's there's nothing that touches that, or even playing with someone that wrote this. Like I've I've toured with guys where I'm not actually on the record, or I didn't write the song, but it's it's there. You're standing next to the guy that did it. Um, there's nothing that that you can do in, in a cover entity that approaches the feeling that you get when people are reacting to you and what you have to say. Um, the one thing I do get to benefit from is I do some large, you know, the, with the El Monsteros and the celebration days getting to, you're not them. Okay. You're guys that are playing music that other people did, but on the scale that we get to do them, uh, it's a really good you know, hearing 15,000 people come back at you, even though it's not your thing, uh, is is really neat. It's it's great. Um, uh, but hearing 150 people react to your song is is in the same ballpark, if not better. You talk about that crowd of 15,000 people. I know you've been playing shows since you were like 13, 14, but do you ever get nervous? All the time. Really? Yeah. What's yeah. your process for that? Um, I, it's, it's usually, I'm not till bad until the seven or eight minutes before you go on when you're just standing and you can see the people and you're waiting and you can't walk out there yet. And you just got to stand there. And that's, that's when it starts to kick in of like, I wonder if I turned on all the right pedals or did this or, you know, you start to go through what can go wrong. And we have, uh, one of the guys that occasionally works for El Monstero is a, a guy named Terry Welty, who is Geezer Butler's from Black Sabbath's uh, Black Sabbath's <laughs> tech. Uh, Terry's or Terry uh, has worked for Terry for quite some time, and uh, and I asked him one time. I was like, "Man, do those guys?" And he was like, "Every single night." And those guys have been doing it for you know sixty years in front of you know thousands and thousands of people every night, and they still get you know, still get flipped out about it. So, yeah, it's if you if you're not nervous, you're not doing the right thing, you know, or you don't care one or the other. Who has most heavily influenced your style Uh, in terms of playing the guitar or just music in general? Just in general. Um, There's always the I always go back to the Beatles. I hate to you know, it's it's a really it's a catch all. But um, that is something that no matter how long I get away from it, I can always go back and listen to them and, and, and see the connections between them and the other artists that I love, the Tom Petty's and the, um, and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, now I'm getting to go back through it with rocket 
and turn him on to still like now we're into kiss um which was that was the catalyst for me getting into music was was kiss and uh and we're gonna go see them in a couple of weeks we're going with skip oh so, very cool yeah it's it's gonna be fun um trying to think uh eddie van halen was a huge thing for me after kiss it was like kiss and aerosmith and the who and um and then van halen and uh and now it's you know Mike Campbell, uh, you've met my friend James Walburn uh, from The Pretenders. is a, a huge guitar influence on me. Um, yeah, it's just any – as long as you can keep your ears open, you're going to learn from from good people, you know. So you mentioned your son, Rocket. Do you encourage him to play? Does he have any interest in playing? And if he wanted to follow in your footsteps, what would you tell him? First and foremost, if he never plays music, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. Like I don't need – I'm happy with my life and I don't need him to reaffirm, you know, my existence uh, by playing music. Um, He has – there are elements that he has – he doesn't want to do the work. That's the thing. It's like, hey, man, check this out. Listen to this noise. And he'll be like, brang, yeah. And I'll be like, if you put your finger here, and be like, nah. (laughs) So there's the – like he has uh, some of the things that I have – Musically are like I can memorize things. I can remember when I was a kid, I used to memorize Saturday Night Live sketches and I could spit spit them back at my folks like almost verbatim. And he has that and that's helped me with lyrics. It's helped me with music. It it helps me with a lot of things. So he has some of those elements. And if he wants to get into it, there's all kinds of stuff. He's going to have the coolest band ever you know <laughs> like oh there's drums there's anything you can imagine to do it with um and i'd i'd welcome that but it's not a it's not something he, he, that he has to do you know you brought up the saturday night live thing i used to do the same thing and i i loved that show and i feel like that's part of the reason i'm in radio if that makes any sense mm-hmm. just like that desire to perform do you think that's just i mean did you ever have an interest in like acting or yeah. stage work or anything yes i uh i was uh, tom sawyer in my 6th grade play um i didn't do as much of it in high school as i, I was in drama club uh for like one year but again i moved a lot so that's my High school activities didn't uh, always line up in that. But, yeah, acting was is something uh, that I've always felt, you know, and I've loved being on Dave's show with you guys. And, and so there is a little bit of that, I think, that that's omnidirectional. You know, when you get into this thing, there's – you have the, this part of you and, and another, you know, a, another part <laughs> – uh, whether it's the being on a camera or being behind a microphone or being in a recording studio or being on a stage or all those things I think can get intertwined in this in this line of work when we come back the final part of our interview with Jimmy Griffin on the Rachel Zimmerman show on KMOX who's someone you'd love to collaborate with uh, I guess Mike Campbell would be somebody that that like I would um, I've got this new batch of songs that I've been writing, and and I would love to hear what somebody like him, who's who I res- respect so much on a musical and a and a writing level, um, I would love to hear so, like somebody like that say, "Man, you know, this is really good," or I would do this, or uh, so. Yeah, probably Mike would be the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Very cool. 
Um, what's a hobby or an interest that you have that might surprise people who just know you as Jimmy Griffin, the rock star? Well, just uh, I coach a seven-year-old soccer team. Uh, <laughs> that's always kind of funny when when people see that. So for some reason, people whenever I tell them that I'm like doing lawn work, they're like, "You cut your own grass?" And I'm like, "Yeah, as you know." Um, uh, yeah, probably the soccer coaching thing is is a good one. And I've met actually met some people that are like, "Hey, are you the guy that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And they're like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "Well, my kid <laughs> plays on this team." Oh, oh, okay, okay, you know. Um, but yeah, probably soccer coach and and lawn enthusiast would be. <laughs> Would be good ones. How do you think uh, your typical band? I know you've had a lot of bandmates, but how do you think they would describe you if they were if someone was like, "Tell me about Jimmy." I would like to think that that I'm create like that. I have ideas for things. They might not always be the best ideas, but I'm, I, I'm and that I can I can fit in. Um, I can. I think that's the biggest thing about being in a band is. It's not unless it says your name over the thing. Like if you're not Paul Simon or you're not, you know, that guy, you have to uh, assimilate to what's happening in the in the unit and be the part of the unit that needs to be there. That that you're that the, what's your the um, the service that you're supposed to perform. Um, find it, do the best that you can at it, and uh, and enjoy it at the same time. And I think that's what they'd say is I'm a, I'm a good team player, I like to think. Uh, and that I have ideas and I'm uh, – half of this is the hang. It's If you can't hang, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. It, uh, you They'll replace you with somebody that's a better hang uh, that might not be as good as you are, you mm. know. So what's been the biggest high point of your career so far? Man, it's all been I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at. Uh I think that's the biggest high point is that um cuz I've been up and down. Um at the end of King of the Hill, I was 23 years old. I was out of a job for the first time in my entire life. Uh the style of music that I had grown up playing was now the most uncool thing that could possibly happen. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And at that point I could have easily just like, well, I'll be a manager at Schnooks or whatever. Um, and I kept playing music and a lot of years that were really lean, um, where all of a sudden trombone players were cooler than guitar players. And I was really confused by a lot of things that were happening musically. And to bide my time, uh, come out the other side of it, uh, like this second half of my life has been really rewarding. Um, and uh, to be a dad at this at this point, you know, have my first kid when I was 48 years old, um, that was a really huge thing. Um, so, yeah, I would just say that uh, per, the persistence and... Uh, sticking around long enough to watch things pay off has has been really great. Um, and to have the career that I have 
uh, here in St. Louis. I mean, I have a lot of friends that travel all the time, and they're like, man, you do all this stuff, and you get to sleep in your bed every night and see your kid. And that's that's pretty cool. So I'm I'm really happy with it. So I would say it's it's being alive now and getting to live the way that I live is a high point. I like that answer. Thank you. Um, I know El Monstero has their big holiday shows coming up. Mm -hmm. Tell the people about that and any other shows you have coming up, too. Sure. Uh, We just did the Celebration Day gig last weekend. So that one's you won't see that until February. Um, uh, The Hard Promises next gig is November the 25th. And that's at uh, the pageant. And then the Elmo shows start in the middle of December. It's the 50th year anniversary of Dark Side, so I'm sure that's going to get a, a nice run through. And then we we have a meeting, usually a couple weeks from now, uh, where we sit down and kind of go through the set list and uh, figure out what we're going to be able to, what's what's going to fit in where and, and uh, how the thing's going to, going to flow so we'll see i don't know anything yet um other than we're going to play dark side which is <laughs> not a huge surprise to anybody and i guess the only other thing i have coming up is i think it's november 17th i'm um playing some of my own music uh with dave grelly's Pliodors uh at off broadway and maybe i'll sit in and t- dave always makes me sing really weird songs like uh was that one i did like a lou rawls song with him once and um, all kinds of, of things that you wouldn't think I would sing, and and Dave's really good at at pulling those things out of me. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's what I got coming up the rest of the year. Um, nice mellow schedule. <laughs> well, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Twenty One C just opened in downtown St. Louis back in August. It's a really cool hotel, museum cafe, restaurant. You should check it out. I was lucky enough to sit down with 21C Museum Manager Angie Villa to talk about their museum. My name is Angie Villa. I'm the Museum Manager at 21C Museum Hotel, St. Louis, uh, which means that I get to uh, take care of the artwork here at our St. Louis Museum location, Uh, do programming, um, do a little bit of curation uh, on one of the uh, programs that we have, Elevate, Um, So I am from St. Louis. Uh, I studied um, studio art and English in college and then arts administration. Um, I discovered that I really enjoyed helping people uh, put together projects and create their own work instead of uh, making uh, art myself. Um, And so I kind of uh, followed the administrative path. My most recent job was in public art. We did a bunch of uh, different public art planning, uh, commissioning processes, and things like that um, all throughout the country. Uh, And now I'm here at 21C. I'm very excited to be here. Very nice. So recently I had Robin from Art St. Louis on the show, Mm -hmm. and I asked her, like, what do you think draws people to the art world initially? What do you think that spark is? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's it's a great outlet for people. Um, I think it's also a really excellent way to find paths to communication. Um, you know, art can be can be kind of a, a welcoming space for people uh, where they can see themselves really represented. And it can also be a little bit challenging. And so it can start conversations and really get people engaged and talking and learning about different perspectives and different people and, and, and learning something about themselves as well. 
So tell us about 21C since it's so new to town down St. Louis. Yeah, 21C Museum Hotel is a uh, multi-venue museum uh, with a boutique hotel and a chef-driven restaurant. We are located in the former YMCA building uh, on Locust in downtown West. Uh, We just opened in August of this past year. Um, And when you visit 21C, uh, you can obviously come in and stay with us in some of our really wonderful uh, hotel rooms. Um, You can come to our uh, two two different restaurants that we have on site. And then, of course, you can visit the museum, which is open to the public. Uh, Anyone's welcome to come in and check out the museum anytime. You don't have to be a guest to the hotel. Um, We have several different exhibitions on display at our museum. Um, And it's just a a really wonderful experience to come down and see us. And you guys have a focus on contemporary art, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I I feel like contemporary art sometimes can get a little bit of a bad rap. I know a lot of people who don't get it. I personally love it. What what do you wish more people understood about contemporary art? You know, it's it's nice because um, with the exhibition that we have, you can come in it at whatever level you're interested in entering on. So you can walk through and look at beautiful images and look at um, different colors and textures and materials and all sorts of different things just on a really face level. Or you can join us for one of our exhibition tours or you can read some of the signage that's on site if you're not there uh, during one of the tour times. And you can go in in depth a lot more and learn more about the artist's intentions, um, learn more about their backstory, learn more about their, their perspective on why they're making the artwork. So there's a lot of different sort of levels and, and, and tiers that you can you can enjoy the work. And how do you select which artists uh, will be featured at 21C? How do you connect with them? Well, we have our um, exhibition on our second floor, which is our main exhibition. It's called Revival, Digging into Yesterday, Planting Tomorrow. And that exhibition is curated by our chief curator and museum director, Alice Grace Stites. She works out of Louisville. Um, most of the works in that exhibition are curated from the 21C collection. Um, and we've got, I think, 70 different works in that exhibition, which will be on display with us for about a year. It'll switch out in, in June of 2024. Um, we do have a uh, space in the first floor um, in our billiard room where we feature uh, artists who are living and working around the St. Louis community. Um, So uh, that's a space that will always be featuring local artists um, and able to kind of highlight them, of course, with all of our museum and uh, hotel guests as well. Very nice. Um, how is art incorporated into the rooms at 21C? All of our all of our guest rooms, they're gorgeous, really beautiful guest rooms. Um, but they have uh, each piece uh, will feature a um, artwork that's made by uh, artists with strong ties to Missouri. So we're featuring a couple of different uh, Missouri-based artists. Carmen Colangelo is a St. Louis artist and also the dean of the Sam Fox School. He's created a bunch of different works for us in our guest rooms. Um, we also have work by a uh, fluorescent-based photographer, Colin Elliott. Uh, Brandon Forrest Frederick is another photographer who has some work with us. I believe he's out of Kansas City. And then um, Bethany Irons created some uh, digital collage work. She works uh, and and teaches in Columbia, Missouri. Um, And we've got a piece, a really special piece, in one of our guest rooms by La Vespera, who's an artist partnership who spent quite a bit of time here in St. Louis. So we like to be able to bring in that kind of local flavor for everyone who stays with us. 
Yeah, I was lucky enough to come to a soft opening back in August. And when you walk into the museum, first of all, the hotel, the museum, everything is so Instagrammable. Like I see it all <laughs> over my feet all the time. Yeah. But when you walk in, it's that big glass sphere. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, that's a work called O. Uh, I'm glad you you mistook it for, um, for glass. It's actually a plexiglass material oh. that's filled with about 1,800 gallons of distilled water. So the effect of that is very much like a a great big crystal ball or glass ball where it will um, either magnify the image if you're up close to it or sort of flip the image uh, if you scoop further back. That's one of our site-specific pieces that's made by an artist named Sirkan Ozkaya. Um, He came up with this this idea to create this just giant crystal ball uh, and had to sort of follow through on on how to to achieve that and how to... um, he brought the idea to 21C, uh, and we thought it was just a, a perfect uh, uh, item for the for the center of our lobby. Right when you come in, it, it sort of sets the space off uh, and really relies also on everything else that's going on in the lobby space uh, to change itself. So even throughout the day, when you catch it in different types of light or as people are moving past it, it just it completely transforms and changes. So if you if I were coming down to one of the current exhibits at 21C and I said, OK, I only have 15 minutes. What are the pieces of art that I should hit first? Oh, my gosh. Well, you can't miss. Oh, of course, because when you walk in the front door, it's just right there. Um, we have another site specific installation called The Way Out West, which is a three story stairwell made by an artist partnership named uh, called Fallen Fruit. Um, We do have a piece by uh, Nick Cave uh, and his partner, Bob Faust, which you can check out in our cafe library just off of our cafe. Um, That's an incredible uh, piece that fills the ceiling of that space. Um, And then I don't I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to choose between uh, going up and seeing the revival exhibition, which will probably take you more than 15 minutes mm. to walk through in its entirety. It's it's beautiful and very immersive. Um, and then, of course, our, our Elevate show, which is uh, on the first floor as well, featuring uh, two different local artists right now. Um, we have Quinn Antonio Bracerno and Yvonne Osei on display right now. So you mentioned the cafe. Tell me about that and the restaurant at 21C. Yeah, our cafe is called Good Press. It's open for breakfast and lunch, uh, grab-and-go kind of sandwiches and smoothies. And we feature um, Northwest Coffee and Big Heart Tea, uh, a couple of incredible um, local, locally sourced uh, companies. Um, it's also a beautiful space to kind of sit and enjoy the day, uh, maybe do a little bit of work on your laptop. Um, our restaurant is a chef-driven restaurant. Uh, Matt Dawday is our um, chef, our head chef, uh, and it's called Idle Wolf. It's Spanish-inspired. Um, incredible. I just ate there last night again. Uh, it's definitely a favorite. Um, it's it's sort of tapas-centric, but there's a lot of uh, different entrees for people as well. So. Uh, so how can people learn more about 21C Museum, social media? Yeah, we've got a great Instagram account, which you can follow. Um, you can also visit our website where you'll see our calendar of events. You'll be able to uh, sign up for one of our exhibition tours through the calendar. Um, you can uh, you can stop by. Uh, we're located on, on Locust uh, 1520. Um, and so you can come by anytime and check us out. Well, Angie Villa is the museum manager at 21C Museum. Angie, thanks for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much.
Super glad I could talk to Angie. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. I hope you have an amazing weekend. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t